Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Rally podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporter in the middle of nowhere. Last week, I wasn't able to come out with a new episode due to scheduling problems. This week's episode, more or less, is going to be a two-week, two-week, two-kind-of-part episode where I'm going to talk about things that I wanted to talk about last week and then continue on in terms of what I want to talk about this week. Hopefully this turns out good. Hopefully you like it. And if you don't, I apologize. So let's get into it. Last week, the first round of the playoffs ended for the NBA. The top four teams in the Eastern and Western Conference won. No upsets. Some may say this, this, the, the playoff series of the Celtics versus the Nets was somewhat of an upset series. I think some t- a lot of experts and a lot of people thought that if Durant and Irving are playing, that they will be good enough to beat the Celtics, who had a better overall than the Nets. Well, the series happened, and the Celtics won four games. So it is crazy how this series, um, how that, how that. Let's talk about this series first: the Nets versus the Celtics. And I always put in what ifs associated with with, with um. Playoff series and with games when a superstar is not playing at all. And Ben Simmons didn't play one game versus the Celtics. He didn't have one opportunity and chance to see if he still got it. He got hurt. It was rumored that maybe there was a great chance that he was going to come back between game three and game four. It did not happen. And long story short, the Celtics have beaten the Nets in four games. And in year three of the Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant experiment, not one Eastern Conference Finals for the Nets. Not one NBA Championship Finals for the Nets. Sean Marks, the GM, is safe. Steve Nash is safe. What are the Nets going to do in order to be the team that they were predicted to be the past three seasons? Before the season had started, the Celtics were not predicted to be better than the Nets. The Nets were predicted to be one of the teams that was going to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA championship, and things didn't fall out that way for the Nets. Kevin Durant got hurt. Kyrie Irving had the issue with the vaccination. James Harden grew tired of being with the Nets and requested a trade. The Nets uh, traded away James Harden to, to the Sixers for Ben Simmons. The, uh, the Nets was in hopes that by making this trade, Ben Simmons would have played. But it seemed like every time he got a little bit closer to playing for the Nets, he got hurt or something else happened along the way that didn't allow him to play. So instead of being a team that was top five or even top four in the Eastern Conference, the Brooklyn Nets came into the playoffs having to play the play-in and earn the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. But people still felt with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant that the Nets had an opportunity and chance to beat the to beat the Celtics. They really did. And some people even felt that, man, even if Ben Simmons comes game three and four and maybe doesn't play 35 minutes, the idea that he's out there with the defense that he's, he's capable of doing, capable of playing, and his rebounds and assists could help the Nets. Well, the Nets didn't see him. Supposedly, he has a uh, back problem that's going to require surgery. 
But the thing, the problem with this issue with Ben Simmons is now the Nets have a guy who hasn't played 82 games. Now they have a guy who has a case versus an NBA team in the Sixers. Now they have a guy who didn't play one game this season, but for whatever reason, he has a back problem. Either he is what the, the question under Ben Simmons is what are you doing? What conditions are you really training? While you're not there. Because the reality is that you went into the uh, last summer healthy. And then all of a sudden you're hurt. But you're not playing games. So how are you getting hurt? How is Ben Simmons getting hurt if he's not playing a game? Is he taking his con conditioning well? What is he doing in his spare time? How in the world does a guy who didn't play one NBA game need a surgery on his back that will require him to rehab for multiple months? What did he do? Some people say maybe because it's been put out there, there's anxiety and among other stuff issues um, that he has. You know, listen, if he has those issues of needing a therapist to get over his mental issues or whatever issues that he's dealing with, I shouldn't even call it mental issues because maybe some people will not like that. But long story short, what is up with Ben Simmons? Because now the Sixers were, were lucky that they were able to trade uh, trade Ben Simmons. But the idea now that the Nets have him, they can't trade him. And the idea that they can't trade him and they don't know what they're going to get next season with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Now the Nets all look like a, do really do like, like a failed experiment. A team that was supposed to emulate or look like the Miami Heat with uh, Bosch, Wade, and James looks like a failed experiment. Because it hasn't worked. Durant entered the first year hurt. Then Ivan, then Kyrie Irving got hurt. Then they made a trade for James Harden, but they didn't even play more than 30 games together since they had traded for James Harden. Then they went into this year where Irving misses games because of the vaccination. Kevin Durant gets hurt, and then they trade James Harden. Now, my speculation, and I'm assuming in my own little mind, that with James Harden, that the, the Nets had a chance to probably win at least one or two games, in my opinion. I I, cockily, cockily, I arrogantly feel that with a James Harden, the Nets had an opportunity and chance to beat the Celtics or at least win two games, not go down four. And the idea that Steve Nash is safe and Sean Marks is safe is crazy. Maybe not even Sean Marks should be traded. But remember this, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Nash had no experience going into the Brooklyn Nets as a coach at any level in basketball, college, or the NBA. Not even an assistant coach. You can't, you, a lot of times, in, in a lot of different teams, is guys who come up with a great offense always becomes a top assistant who should be at the next available uh, head coach for a team that needs it. Let's fake it. Or a guy who's a top defensive uh, coach is a, uh, usually gets interviewed and is available to be a head coach for his team that doesn't have a, co a head coach at the moment. But he's safe. Is it Jane, Is it Steve Nash's fault? Whose fault is it that the Nets did not not uh, play better than the seventh seed? Is it all Kyrie Irving? Could it be Steve Nash inexperienced bringing down the Nets? It, remember, inexperience hurts teams. And now this is the idea that if Steve Nash doesn't win, 
does that even hurt him from future chances of being a head coach to a team? Because the idea that, yes, he won, but he didn't win anything and he had great players around him. What happens with the Nets? In my opinion, they're the, the most, they're the hugest disappointment in the past three seasons. I mean, there's no other team right now that was expected to win 50 to 60 games. And maybe I'm a little bit wrong there. But to maybe win 60 games. Because that's kind of the idea that I felt that the Nets had the chance and opportunity to be if Harden, Irving, and Durant all played at the level that they know that they could play with. That if they had stayed healthy, that they had a great opportunity and chance to do it. Some would attach the Lakers to that whole team that, that was thought to be a top five team and didn't end up being it. But that's another issue. So what happens? The Lakers fired Frank Vogel and had him as the scapegoat why Westbrook didn't didn't work out for the Lakers. But Steve Nash gets to stay on the team. The idea that Steve Nash couldn't couldn't talk to James Harden and made him stay. I mean, man, something had to happen because the reality is Ben Simmons had warning signals before the trade even happened. There was warning signals. The Nets couldn't say that they didn't. They thought that they were fully confident that Ben Simmons was going to play immediately. The only thing that we that the Nets saw was how Ben Simmons stuck out every time he rolled the bench when they won the playoffs with his flashy clothes. Other than that, they didn't see him on the court at all. And now, what do they do? Now he's having surgery on his back. We don't know what's going to happen with the surgery. Is the surgery done? Like I said before, done. Due to his to due to his conditioning, is he conditioning well? Long story short, the Nets are probably one of the most disappointing teams. The next team that that's going into that that uh, the next series I want to talk about is Sixers and Raptors. You know the Raptors overachieved, not overachieved, but they exceeded expectation. They faced the Sixers, and let's face it, Joel Embiid it was just being uh, an MVP candidate. All over the Raptors. Raptors played as good as they could. But a long story short. I think the Sixers at the end of the day. Were a better team than the Raptors. In terms of the Bucks and Bulls. It was a funny series. Because if you look at this series. Chris Middleton gets hurt. Lonzo Ball gets hurt. Levine. I mean so many different guys. Weren't with the Bulls versus the Bucks. That it just felt like. If the Bucks didn't win a game versus the Bulls. Then shame on the Bucks. But there was no way. That the Bulls had a chance and opportunity to win this series versus the Bucks, with all these different guys missing games in the series. It doesn't mean that the Bucks are better than the Bulls. It just means that the Bucks, in another year in the in NBA playoffs, has another easy way to make in the next round in the playoffs in the NBA because another team is dealing with injury issues of guys being out. And um, ladies and gentlemen, if got main guys on the starting lineup are gone and you can't take advantage of that, you are not an NBA championship caliber team. You're supposed to execute and, and, and beat any team that's missing a great star that's that, that's usually starting for a team. So long story short, the Bucks were able to beat the Bulls easily. The uh, Bucks now face the Celtics in the next round. And it's going to be an interesting series because Chris Middleton is not going to be in the series. So the question of the day is, does the Celtics have the, have the, the championship caliber in a team that could win a series 
with a main star not playing. And listen, let's let's be realistic about something. Now, Boston's somewhat like the way Milwaukee was last year in the sense that Boston went into the series with Brooklyn that was in turmoil, a team that didn't have Ben Simmons. Now Boston's going into a series where Chris Middleton, who's a great player, not playing for Boston. And I mean, not playing for Milwaukee. Does he have a chance to come back? Come back? We'll see. But long story short, the idea that Chris Middleton's not there is an advantage for Boston. Helps this series not be so easy for the Bucks. If the Bucks are able to achieve and win this series versus the Celtics, I will be impressed. Off to the next series. Again, Miami versus was had a good series versus the Hawks. They had a great series where, you know. The Hawks were trying their best to win, but the reality, the truth is, Collins and Clint Capular were not at 100%. That's the truth. And the reality was, the, the Heat were able to expose that. What made things even better for the Heat is that Trey Young looked horrible versus the Heat. He did not look like the superstar that he was, like he was last year versus the Knicks. He looked like a guy, like an inexperienced point guard, a uh, young point guard. That, that never played in the playoffs in this series versus last series where he just looked like a guy who just was... um In comparison to last year where it looked like he had experience in the playoffs because it looked like everything that the Knicks threw at Trey Young's uh, way, Trey Young was, to, was able to outsmart them and help lead the Hawks past the Knicks last year. This season, it just looked like Trey Young didn't have enough talent to beat the Miami Heat. So now Miami is going on and they're facing the Sixers. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens between uh, Miami and the Sixers. Miami's coming in as the number one seed. Miami has more talent than the Sixers. The reality is that James Harden hasn't been James Harden since Houston. Let's be realistic. Since James Harden's been with Houston, he hasn't looked the same. He kind of threw flashes with the, with the Nets. He got hurt this season with a hamstring injury. But he does not look like the guy who, who, who's averaging over 25 points, having over 8 assists and 8 rebounds that he was with Houston. And the, and the Sixers may lose the series if he doesn't even look comparison to that guy. Sixers have a great team with Harris, Max, Maxi, probably I'm seeing his name wrong, Max Y, whatever. The young point guard looks amazing. He's had a, a, like multiple uh, good games so far between the Toronto series and the Miami series. We'll see what happens uh, between them. But in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, I feel that Miami and Boston are destined to meet in the Eastern Conference. If that's my prediction, I feel that these are the two teams that that will win the series, uh, their series in the second round and meet each other in the Eastern Conference. So I'm saying Miami has a great chance to beat the Sixers. And I think Boston has a great chance to beat Milwaukee. Off to the Western Conference. The Pelicans versus the Suns. When I first looked at this series, this is, again, a key word that I've been using a lot of my podcasts, if you've been listening, is the what if. Because the Pelicans went into this series and they were playing great when McCullen and Ingram looked like a great duo for the Pelicans. But the what if factor that was attached with the Pelicans was that Zion Williamson didn't play at all this season. And the things that made it even crazier was that he was dunking, doing 360 dunks prior to games, but never played a game, which I always found kind of awkward. Because a guy who's doing 360s and looking ready 
and not playing it's just mind-boggling how he didn't even play one minute one uh, of this whole series but I always felt like man if Zion Williamson played where could the series have go uh, gone for the Pelicans well the Pelicans did ladies and gentlemen get a little bit of a chance to opportunity to win some games because Devin Booker was hurt and there's a great chance that if Devin Booker didn't get hurt, that rather than winning in game six versus the Pelicans, the Suns probably could have had a chance to sweep the Pelicans or at least uh, one in, game, uh, in five game versus six games. But long story short, the Suns advance to a team that's probably more suited to be a good team next season versus being a good team this season. Memphis and Minnesota, to me, was the best series in the first round, in my opinion. Two great young teams. Two teams that have a great nucleus that, if things work out the way they are, this the, the main superstars will probably be with each other for the next three to five years. Jay Morant, Towns, Edwards, Russell, and more. This look, look like a great team up and coming. And this is what the Nets need. Draft good, develop good, and try their best to to make the NBA Finals versus signing big free agents late in their career who are probably very arrogant and stubborn to change their ways, very hard to make them change the mindset of how they should approach the game. Because let's be realistic. Do the Nets even respect Steve Nash? Steve Nash has never won an NBA championship at any level of his career. He's not a guy, he's not also a head coach who's ever won NBA championships. So there's a certain respect that you can have for a guy who actually wins championships and say, man, he's been there multiple times. I'll shut up. I'll listen. And and I'll take whatever he has to say. But long story short, let's stop talking about the Nets. Minnesota and Memphis was a great game. In some ways, a lot of people will look at the as Minnesota as the team that blew the series. In game four, they almost blew the lead, but won game four by one get point. But in game five and six, they had the lead going into the fourth quarter. And then out of nowhere, Grizzlies played a great defense, or okay defense, where the offense was able to wake up from the grave and be even better than they were the first three quarters. So congrats to the Grizzlies. Congrats to the most improved player in Jay Morant. And what a great series for Memphis. The Warriors versus the Knicks. Nothing next. Warriors versus the Nuggets. Another what-if series. Were the Warriors really better than the Nuggets? Or were the Warriors really facing a team that didn't facing a team that didn't have two great players playing in the series at any level? Nikolai Jorak and Malone did a great job this year. In my opinion, these two guys who win Coach of the Year and MVP because they didn't play the play-in. The idea that they didn't play the play-in and they were missing two great players says that they're a great coach and a great player. I felt that, like I said before in the past, that Nikola Jorak, I'm probably saying his name wrong, is better than Embiid because I felt that Embiid had better players overall on his roster versus what the, versus what the Nuggets had. But long story short, Warriors won the series versus the Nuggets and went on to the next round. So Dallas versus Jazz. And this is an interesting series because I thought the Jazz could win. Luka uh, was missing the first couple games. 
I thought that they were that the Jazz was going to be able to win the first two or three games without Luca being there. That that because of that, the Mavs will lose the series and Jazz will win. But long story short, Jason Kidd and Luca uh, together is a match made in heaven because it didn't affect Dallas at all, and Dallas was able to overcome the Jazz in uh in the series. So now it's the Suns versus the Mavs and the Warriors versus the Grizzlies. Again, the first they're the top four teams in the Western Conference, just like in the Eastern Conference. Two teams that are the top in the in the, in the league. This could be a series where Warriors could beat the Grizzlies because of their experience. But does it mean it's going to be a bad series or a series where the Warriors win or we will sweep? But I feel that it falls in the favor of the Warriors because the Warriors just have too much experience. And with the combination of Thompson, Green, and Curry mixing with Jordan Poole and others could be too much for the Grizzlies. If the Grizzlies are able to win this series, it will be a, a great and huge upset. Suns and Mass games, it just, you know, listen. It's a, it's a series where Luka is the main star. He doesn't really have an elite player right right next to him. Bronson and probably going to say Dunwitty are great uh, second and third option for Mavs, but they're not in the same level of Chris Paul and Aiton in the same way that Booker has. But we'll see what happens. So in terms of who's going to win the series versus the Suns versus the Mavs, I have the Suns ultimately winning in the end. I feel the Warriors will win because of experience. But yet, I could be wrong. But these are the, the two teams that I feel that could be going on. Warriors versus the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. Off to baseball. Uh, April is is done. The most disappointing teams. It, one of the craziest things that we could look at right now in baseball. And if anyone knows what baseball is. That baseball is one of those sports where any team that has early success can ultimately fall, uh, falter, um, f- you know, have a horrible second half. It happens more in baseball than any other sport, but to me, that's what makes baseball interesting. Now, there are certain teams like the, the uh, like the Tigers, who ended the season strong, the Royals, who ended the season strong last year in 2021, who are, again, starting this season slow. The White Sox don't look like the dominating team that they were last year. They're committing a tons of errors, Tim Anderson has uh, has made more than six errors so far in this young series. It just feels like maybe he has a great opportunity to commit 20 errors or more. And my Mets. My Mets are in first place. My Mets are exceeding my expectation. Because it seemed like within the last six, no, yeah, maybe six or seven seasons before the season, Whenever we lost players, we ultimately lost more games than more games than win. And it felt like, man, we lost Walker for a certain amount of time. We still don't have DeGrum. It just felt like, man, we were going to lose again because we don't have all the players that we need. But it hasn't been that. Eric Chavez has been a great hitting coach. He's made the offense look better than it has in multiple seasons. Add the great offense with the great pitching. And the great and the great um, defense and pitching, defense, pitching, and offense 
all look great. And the Mets have never had that. They're one of the, the one of the uh it's one of the things that I think no one expected them to be. I think everyone has always expected within the last six or seven seasons that pitching was always gonna be one of the best uh pitching staffs because of the rotation. But no one I don't think anyone really expected that the offense was gonna be as good as it was so far early in the season. Now last week, I don't know how many of you heard or watched the videos. But a, a brawl basically broke out between the Mets and the Cardinals. So far in this season, the Mets have been hit more than 17 times. 17 times. And that's in April alone. 17 times in April? Isn't that crazy? In the series versus the Cardinals, Pete Alonso got hit in the face a second time in one month. In the face. Some people are saying that the ball... Grip is, is can be, can, he could be playing contribute to why so many people are getting hit so often in, in the baseball so far. So long story short, it looked like I think it was Wednesday or Thursday in the end of the series. Uh, Ian Lopez nearly hit, hit Nolan or, or Ariando. Hopefully, hopefully I'm saying his name right. And a bro basically broke loose. Um, you know, listen, it's crazy how so many people. Are, are getting hit. I understand why Oriando is was was um was angry because getting hit in the face with a ball that's coming at you ninety miles per hour. There's no other sport right now where balls are getting hit and being getting being getting thrown less than two feet away from you, and they're approaching eighty plus miles per hour. Is there anybody out there who is willing to to be close to anything? That's going 80 miles or more, right? That less than two feet away from them. Baseball is the, literally, literally the only sport that a lot that that guys that players' job is to let a ball come at them over 80 miles per hour, and they have to try to hit that. But the brawl happened. Long story short, the brawl happened. Fines are happened. Suspensions happen, and we move on. So last week. The NFL's uh, draft started, and I'm gonna talk about that in part two. What I feel, um, what I feel about that. Last week, uh, WWE released more players from uh, more wrestlers from NXT, and it's crazy how they keep on releasing wrestlers. I mean, don't you want to? Be, one of the key things that I loved about them was they were embracing the minor league players, in my opinion, and, and they don't want to be. These wrestlers don't want to be called minor league players, but it was giving them experience. And WWE could could have, if they didn't release these these wrestlers, have a certain sense of pride. Like we used our tools and our knowledge and our wisdom to make these wrestlers better. They started here. Maybe they left because they didn't want they wanted more money than what we can give them. But the idea that they had started in WWE before they became legends in the wrestling world is a key thing that WWE should have liked. I don't understand what's happening with WWE because it's felt like since the pandemic has started, they just keep on releasing talent. I don't know how much talent they're going to release within the next six months to a year. Hopefully they add more wrestlers, but it's crazy. In terms of AEW, AEW needs to do more. They talk about a reality show that they're going to come out with. I mean, but the reality is that they need... The truth is 
they have great talent. But the reality is they're not making the money that they need to make in order to hold these wrestlers down. That's why you may see some of these wrestlers go do independent shows like FTR. FTR has done independent shows where they get paid. So tag teams, a tag team like FTR probably would never leave AEW because they're making money independently somewhere else. Other wrestlers that are, that are in AEW may leave because the reality is there may not be enough money for them. Tony Khan has added so many different wrestlers that wrestlers that were wrestling a lot a year ago and not wrestling too much right now. But let's see what happens with this new reality show. Let's see what they they'll do. Let's see if they will lose more if they will lose more wrestlers like a big talents like Cody Rhodes because Cody Rhodes was a big talent on the roster, a guy who had big influence in the back background, a guy who played a big part in why AEW had its early success. And now he's gone. And the question of the day is, how does his release, not release, how is him signing with WWE eventually make some of AEW talent want to sign with WWE? And talking about FTR, you know, social media is funny because social media likes to see what you're interested in and they kind of show you like, hey, you may like this profile and you may like that profile and you may like this one. So they show it to you. So that if you see it, you may want a glimpse at what other photos and videos that they may have. And if you like it, now you follow them because Twitter and Instagram advertise it for you to, to may look at because you liked other profiles. And FTR seems like a team, a tag team in wrestling right now. It's kind of kissing butt, in my opinion. You know, and maybe this is a, a, a true heel tag team. Because they seem like a kiss-up rather than trying to create something on their own that doesn't emulate anything from the 80s, the 90s, or the 70s, but yet create something on their own. It seems like they really want to look like the 80s. They're really showing that, they're, they're, that they are a couple of wrestlers from the 80s who love certain wrestlers from the 80s. So they want to have a handball, hand, what's it called? Handle, mustache, be bald. They look, you know, it is, they want to kiss Bret Hart's butt. You know, I don't know. It's just, I look at them and it's like they're not exciting. I kind of, I never liked them when they were with the WWE. And I don't like them now. But maybe that also plays a tribute, plays a tribute to the brilliance. Because you, in, I think in acting, and I think in wrestling, if a wrestling wrestler gets an emotion of negativity and hate attached to them, they're doing their job. They're being the perfect heel because you don't want to see them win. And if you don't want to see them win, there are certain people out there will, that will invest money to try to see them lose a match. So maybe FTR is brilliant versus being a kiss butt. Just like in, in movies. In movies, if you finish watching a movie and it didn't make you sad because of the story, it didn't make you happy, it didn't create any emotion at all, Maybe the is only negativity. Maybe they didn't do a great job. But long story short, that's my first episode, um, first part of this episode. I'll see you very soon in the second part. Welcome back to part two of the Truth and Reality podcast. Now, this part of the uh, this week's episode, I'm going to talk about the draft. So last week. Uh, April 28th to the 30th was the uh, NFL draft 
And now is a true way to take a step back and analyze the NFL teams and the moves they made in the offseason between the players they traded for, teams that they, uh, players that they signed, and players that they drafted. The question of the day is, uh, with, the, these, with these NFL teams, which team improved? Which teams in some ways looked the same? And then what teams declined? Some teams improved and don't look the same. Some, pe some teams looked the same because they added great talent, but they also lost great talent. So it's like if you lose five great players and then gain five great players, you're kind of going into the season and into, so far in the offseason, look like a team on a neutral level because you didn't really improve, but you didn't really get worse. So you're the same. Decline. Well, in the NFL, decline can ultimately be that you trade away draft picks, you drafted wrong players, you also, uh, because of salary cap issues, lost major talent that also ultimately brought down the overall, um, I don't say ranking, but the overall like feeling of what this team could truly be if they had saved, if not safe, if they were able to keep certain players and then add more players on to other weaknesses on the team. So let's get into it. The AFC East. So the AFC East is a funny division, in my opinion. Why? Well, if you look at this this division, the only quarterback that I think that anyone could look at right now and feel is elite, could be an MVP candidate, can be top five in passing yards, and can ultimately lead a team into the playoffs uh, right now because he has done it in the past, is Josh Allen. And I liked what what the Bills did. The, Josh Allen may have lost their quarter, quarterback, but he's added major talent with Von Miller, Reggie Safford, and others. While the other teams are depending on young quarterbacks to be good. Can Mac Jones be b better than he was last year? Can Tua, with these new additions brought on to the Miami uh, roster, be better than, than he was last year? Can Zach Wilson... Have an, an uh, improved significantly and help the Jets fall, uh, not fall, but improve from a four-win team that they were last year. Now, talking about a team that I felt improved, but because of the quarterback, you can't really say that they are a playoff team. But if you look at the other things that they added, other pieces they added on, you can actually look at it and say, well, I appreciate that. And I think with those pieces, they could be a better team. And I like what the Jets did. They added three tight ends. They got, I'm going to say his name wrong, Umazada Ozama, the former starting uh, tight end for the Bengals. They got Kirkland, uh, Cochran, whatever his name is, from Minnesota. And then they drafted a tight end. Then you go on the wide receiver core. And in the wide receiver core, they added young talent. And I think his name Garrett Wilson. Probably seen his name wrong. But adding him to the wide receiver core, they got Tomlinson to improve their offensive line. Now they have the, the then they added uh, Jeremiah Johnson, probably his name right, saying his name right, adding him. They got Sauce Gardner. So there's a lot of different pieces they added. The main thing that's just so funny that could really help them improve even more is the two free agents that they signed last season that were supposed to create a, a great impact both on defense and offense. And because due to injury, both weren't those players. Corey Davis played a little bit more games than a guy named uh, than Carl Lawson, 
who's supposed to help with the whole pass rushing experience in defense. Both didn't play an impact, but the question of the day is, if they're healthy, if these guys who they brought in through free agency stays healthy, and if Zach Wilson improves, are they better than teams, other teams in the division? And that's going to be the major factor. The major factor in my eyes is Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson improves, ladies and gentlemen, and players stay healthy, the Jets are a great up-and-coming team, in my opinion. The, to me, if Zach Wilson is better, they are better than a team that's won three or four games last year. They should definitely be in the category of maybe six to eight wins. If everyone improve, if certain players improve, if certain players stay healthy. But we'll see if that happens. Now look at the Dolphins. Dolphins didn't really have a dent or create, you know, got really any major good people in terms of the draft. But you can't say that when it comes to free agency and trades they, they made. Getting Tariq Kill, Corner Williams, and uh, Trinston Armstead, Edmonds, and others on offense makes makes it look like the Dolphins are ready to be better than a nine uh, nine win team. We'll see if Tour again another quarterback. If Tour stays healthy, if Tour is is this quarterback of the future for the Dolphins, or is he just going to be an average, slightly above average quarterback? We'll see what happens. The Pats didn't really make any moves, ladies, and you know too many exciting moves. They even drafted a guy in the uh, offensive lineman with the last name Strange to be one of the starting offensive uh, uh, guards. But the reality is, everything hems on the, on teams after the Bills on the quarterback play. Tour and Mac Jones are ahead of Zach Wilson, but with the additions that Tour and Zach Wilson made, they could ultimately look like better teams than even the Pat than the Pats were last season when they won ten games. On the Pats, of the team that looked the same. In my opinion, they didn't really make eye poppy move. They really didn't um, decline, but they kind of stayed the same. No team in in the AFC East really declined. I see more of a team that that stays the same in terms of the Pats. I see teams like the the Jets and the Dolphins who looked improved. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, you hear sirens, sirens. So yes, I'm in the ghetto. So when you're in the ghetto, you hear sirens that don't pertain to you multiple times. That may be not the last. Uh, ambulance that you, you've heard uh, will hear in this episode. Isn't it fun? So let's talk about the AFC North. The, t- uh, the division that had one of their teams make the Super Bowl and win. A team that was somewhat of a Cinderella team make the Super Bowl. Then they lo- this is a t- also a division that lost a future Hall of Famer in Big, Big Ben. This is the same division that has controversy right now. Because Bacon Mayfield is still with the Browns. He's still not traded. He's still not with any team. How do you start a season? How do you go to mini camp and have all these different camps prior to the season? And Baker Mayfield shows up and he doesn't want to be with the team because he was the starter that led them to the playoffs. How does Baker Mayfield go back to the Browns if the Browns don't want him? Deshaun Watson's a great pickup, but losing guys like Landry and, 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 and um, Odell Beckham is, is is horrible. They still have a great tandem in Hunt and uh, Chubb, but the truth is they don't have a receiving core that's that 
is better than that is better than most uh, than the Bengals or other teams. And the reality is the issue with Baker Mayfield may hurt the Browns. And the Ravens, ladies and gentlemen, are just a team that that need health to fall in their favor because the ra- the truth is they were better than, than they were last year. The reality is they lost so many players last year. It's it you know you don't say that the Ravens sucked or you don't say the Ravens were bad. They were just a team that that lost a plethora of players due to injury, and the end result was their win loss record that they have. Now, in terms of a team that declined, the Browns. The Browns lost receivers. The Browns lost offensive linemen. They lost D linemen, and they lost secondary. I mean, they lost in every area and didn't really replace them with guys who are the same level or even better. So the Browns are the team on decline in the AFC North. Now look at the rate, the Bengals, and the Bengals look like a team on the rise. And, and it's crazy how you could say that about a team that just made the Super Bowl. But the idea that they went into this offseason with a lot of uh, with a big salary cap space and knowing that their offensive line was poor and horrible and had probably one of the most horrible offensive line last year. And they added three quality, above average offensive linemen. So the idea that they made the Super Bowl with a below average offensive line kind of makes you feel like, man, if they had this offensive line, would they have beaten the Rams? How much better uh, what the rushing and passing would have been for Joe Burrow and the Bengals if they had this offensive line? I don't know. In terms of the Ravens, you know, they always seem to have a great offseason. And I actually felt that that they were going to be a lot better. But they traded Brown, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown to the Cardinals. A guy who, who received over a thousand yards last season. A wide receiver on the rise. And you trade him. So the only guy who you could look at with the Ravens that would scare you in terms of the receiving game is Andrews, other the tight end. Other than that, they look like a team that's destined to just continue running the ball and let the defense do the rest. Now, they did a great job by getting Hamilton and getting others, but the reality is not having that receiving core is going to hurt this team because if there's a team in the playoffs that could shut down the rushing attack pretty good, I don't think the Ravens have enough receiving that can overcome the odds in the playoffs if the receiving core is below average, in my opinion. A team that's kind of neutral and kind of the same, you know, right now is the, the, the Steelers. You know, I don't know what you can get with the Steelers. You know, Mitch Trubisky is there. Puckett got drafted. This is a team in somewhat transition that could be great because they have great coaching. But the reality is, we don't know who they are until they actually play without Big Ben. Um, in terms of the AFC South, you know, the Jaguars spent the most money in free agency. They look like a team that could win more games. You know, and the key factor with this team is what does Trevor Lawrence do this year? Does he look like the quarterback that was meant to be drafted number one overall in last year's draft? Or does he look like a draft bust? A guy who is overhyped. We'll see what happens. Will the Jaguars get the Clemson uh, NCAA 
uh, football champion Clemson quarterback, or do they get the guy who's scared or doesn't have the talent to be a successful quarterback? We'll see this season. You know, the Titans are another team. They're the team in decline. You just traded A.J. Brown to Philadelphia. I know you got Robert Woods, but Robert Woods is not A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is 24 years old, and you traded him away? Defensively, they look strong. Then they also lost a, a good offensive lineman in Reggie Sulford. I probably haven't seen his name wrong. Reggie Sulford. They tra uh, drafted uh, Mark Willis. I'm probably saying, I don't know if that is his, uh, drafted the quarterback Willis to go behind Ryan Tannehill. And this is crazy. Why would you uh, draft Willis if Ryan Tannehill is 34 years old? What are you trying to signal to Ryan Tannehill? You know, in a lot of ways, it's disrespectful and, and, to, to Tannehill because he's done a great job for the Titans. Now he has to think about, this team doesn't want me beyond the next two years or three. This is the, and this is my, and he's probably even looking at the season, that this could be his last season with the Titans because the truth is, how can he ever be relaxed if Willis is the guy who they seem to want to learn behind him and potentially be his replacement? So, yeah, the Titans are the team in decline. In terms of the AFC West, this was a crazy division. This is the most interesting division because any of these teams in any other division wins the, wins the division in any other, any other um, division in the NFL, in my opinion. One of the, you know, or at least they will win 10 or 11 games in any other division. But the Broncos look good. The Raiders look good. The Chargers look good. The Chiefs. Don't look so good, but they still have Pat, um, Patrick Mahomes and other other players. But in terms of the team in the client, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Chiefs. You lose Tyreek Hill, and you don't replace him with anybody close to his talent, or at least above average. I mean, I, I don't understand how Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the executives in the Chiefs couldn't walk up to Tyreek Hill and says. You know, with you, we're a number one team in the AFC Conference. You know, with you, we go deep into the playoffs on a Super Bowl team. You know, with you, we're an above average team. And the idea that, that the Chiefs traded him to a team that won nine games last year was so idiotic and stupid. Trading him to the Jets would have been a better decision because the Jets need to overcome, need to win five or six extra games this season in order to even be considered a good team versus the Dolphins who only need to win maybe two or three more wins and they're, they are a playoff team that goes into the playoffs in the AFC. You're trading him to the Dolphins and you help the Dolphins become a, a, a playoff contending team, a team that rides on the coattails of Tour. Tour is above average and performs better. And and the Dolphins win and go deep into the playoffs. That's thanks to the Chiefs. Now the Chiefs didn't replace him. Replace uh, Tyree Kill. I feel that the Chiefs and Mahomes is the new Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And why do I say that? Because for the last maybe two or three years, it seemed like Aaron Rodgers has been pleading and other people have been pleading 
for the for the Packers to have a, a more talent in the receiving core, and every season has been a disappointment. Yes, the Chiefs still have Khalees, Travis Khalees, Travis Khalees, the tight end, whatever his name is, but he's still he's over thirty years old. He's not going to be the next three years. Mahomes is still under thirty years old, and Tyreek. If you traded between Tyreek Hill and Khalees. Tyreek Hill makes sense to keep, while Khalees, who's over 30, who could, because of NFL and it always happens in the NFL, fall down a rabbit hole and not be the same player because of age, makes sense. Trade him while he still has value and brings major talent back to your team. But not Tyreek Hill, who's under 30 years old, who would probably give you more years um, to help you succeed versus Khalees. So the team in the decline in the, in the East is the Chiefs. They probably used to be over 500, but the reality is the receiving core just became mediocre, in my opinion. But we'll see what happens. You know, both the Raiders and Chargers look like a, magnif a magnificent team. You know, um, you know, while Kerr is not the best quarterback in the AFC West. He does have great weapons in Waller. I'm probably going to say this other guy named Renafu, whatever his name is. The only guy who gained 1,000 yards for the Raiders. And now they have Devontae Adams. It's just, they have three amazing talents. They brought in great defensive players. But Justin Herbert, who has been brilliant since the day he's entered the league, has gotten even more talent at every level. And this is going to be the team that's going to be very scary in my opinion. Because defense looks better, offense looks better. Justin Herbert just keeps on getting better. So they're the team to watch. They're the team on, on the rise. Until they make the playoffs and go deep in the playoffs, they're the team on, on rise. I won't see that they're the best uh, team in the division. But like I said before, the Broncos also got better too with Russell Wilson and other pieces they added. So the, the question is, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked that the AFC West had all the teams a majority of the teams in their division making the playoffs next season. I wouldn't be shocked. But we'll see what happens. Because injuries do occur. Free agent moves uh, also don't work out to favor to people's favor. Until we see them play together and see what they could do together, we'll see what happens. Now the NFC East, the, team, the division that has the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Com Washington Commanders. They're not the Washington Redskins no more. They're not just Washington. They're the Washington Commanders. And they command your respect. And my Giants. So you look at this division. The team of the decline, in my opinion, in the AFC East is the Cowboys. They have lost Amari Cooper. They lost a great death piece with Cedric Wilson as their fourth best wide receiver. They lost two pieces in, in Connor Williams and um, Collins on the offensive line. So now uh, an offensive line that was once dominant, that was once elite in the NFL, probably one of the best offensive line within the last three to five seasons, now looks still good, but not above average. And could that hurt the Cowboys? Could that help hurt them? Because now teams have a great chance and pressuring them more. And if they pressure them more, is Dak Prescott still looking like an above-average quarterback in the NFL with a weakened offensive line? Um, not having Amari Cooper and Wilson, is that going to hurt the spreading of the ball? 
We'll see what happens. But I don't see the Cowboys as a 12-win game team. They're, they're still good, but they're, in my opinion, a team on decline. Now, the Eagles, a team that wasn't expected to make the playoffs last year. They faced the Buccaneers in the first round of the uh, in, in the NFL. And no one expected the Eagles to go into the playoffs. Look, what did I say? Didn't I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that you would hear more sirens? Maybe you don't even hear the sirens, and I'm just hearing it myself because I'm present here. Second siren in less than 30 minutes. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, the team on the rise in the, in the, AFC, in the NFC East, the Eagles, because they got A.J. Brown. A team that rushing attack was amazing in the second half of the season for the Eagles that basically led them into the playoffs. Now have an adequate uh, one-two punch with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and I'm probably going to say the tight end's name wrong, Gurat, or Gurat, whatever his name is. But man, now uh, they have three great players with a great rushing attack. This team is it probably will win the division just because of that, in my opinion. And that could be wrong. But the Eagles do look better than they did last year, in my opinion. My Giants, you know, David Gettleman left the Giants very much of uh, a very small salary cap. I like the moves they made by getting Evan Neal. Right now, they make the right uh, right side of the offensive line look better with Glonaski, uh, the right guard that they signed, and Neal. They made the Thibodeau drafting look amazing because now they have a good uh, the pass rush has improved. But the question of the day is how how does declining Daniel Jones's contract for uh, for 2023 motivate him, or how does it hurt him? Because declining says we may want you to still be on the team or we may not. But what they definitely know with the decline of his option is. We don't think you're worth what next season's contract could have been for you. We think you're worst. So they declined the option. Hopefully it's a great motivation. You know, my Giants won four games last year. Hopefully, with the additions that they made, they could be better than a four-game win team. I mean, I have said in on Facebook with these other Giant fans that I think that the Giants could be a team that wins two or three more games. Still would mean that we're a team under 500, but improving by two or three games says that we're improving and not going backwards. In terms of Washington, Carson Wentz is a great pickup. Um, getting and, and having um, getting him was great, but as of right now, Eagles look like the team on, on the rise, while the Cowboys are on decline. I think Washington, until we see Washington and New York play, We'll never really know if they're a better team. We hope they're a better team, but we'll see what happens. In terms of the NFC North, the team on the decline is the Packers. Ladies and gentlemen, they traded Devontae Adams away. And it seems like every wide receiver that, that has been traded from the team that they've been on went to a team that, that wasn't a, a, a either they were in good playoff contention or made the playoffs. And the Packers traded Devontae Adams to a playoff team. Now, rushing attack with Jones and, and Aaron Rodgers, the defense 
it seemed like the focus on the draft. You know, I don't know what to say about the Packers, but I feel that the re- that the, I feel like the truth about the Packers is now with no Devontae Adams, this is a team on the decline. It may help them even lose this division because I like what the Vikings did. The Vikings went and added defense. It seems like the main focus. They went eight and nine last year or nine and eight last season and didn't make the playoffs. But I feel like with the players they got in the draft and signed, that if this defense improves the way I think it's an improve with Zadarius uh, Smith, who's a great pass rush attack that was with the Packers last year, drafting guys like Sane, hopefully I'm saying his name right, right, safety and getting Booth, that. With this improvement to this defense will be the difference maker in making this team, one, a playoff contending team, and two, a team better than the Packers right um, next season. We'll see what happens. The Bears don't look better. They trade away uh, Mac, And the Lions look like a team that needs a few more, pace, uh, few more pieces, but they definitely improved in comparison to last year but not better than the Vikings and not better than the Packers. Now, in terms of the NFC South, so this at first, this looked like a team, like a division that was destined for someone to take over because Tom Brady at first looked like he was going to retire. So one of their offensive linemen in the Buccaneers retired, another resigned, uh, certain guys Looked like they were going to leave, but came back. And now Tom Brady, being with this uh, coming back, makes the NFC South look like the AFC East in the sense that there's only one quarterback who we can look at and have faith can lead a team into uh, into being a playoff team and being a team that could possibly go to Super Bowl versus Atlanta, Carolina, and Saints. Let's be realistic. Sam Donald has not led a team to 500. He's not a Pro Bowl player. The same with Marcus Mariota. And the same with Jameis Winston. But the team I feel that's on the rise in the AFC South, if you look at who they have and who they're praying to stay healthy, is the Carolina Panthers. Because last year when Christian McCaffrey actually played, which was only seven games, the Panthers won four games out of seven games versus when he was not on the team and being injured, that the Panthers were one and nine. So right now, the Panthers are hoping that if they're going to be a team that's at 500 or better, that Christian McCarthy has to stay healthy. And I like the moves that they made. Kind of like the, the Bengals, they focus on the offensive line. They didn't just add one guy. They added multiple guys to improve their offensive line. They added one of the top offensive linemen that wasn't expected to, uh, expected to be available for him, for them, but eventually was. Is I'm planning to say his name, Ikam Wanu. I don't, I don't know how to say his name, but left tackle. They added more pass rush with Matt Indonis, and um, who's who's a great, good passing, pass rushing defensive tackle. They added a linebacker in Corey Littleton to help their linebacking crew. They draft, uh, they signed Eric Xavier Woods. And main thing, they're hoping Christian McCaffrey stays healthy. But like teams in the AFC East, everything falls on the quarterback's shoulders. Is Sam Donald gonna gonna perform? 
Or will the quarterback situation in the Carolina Panthers stop this team from being a team, being better than a team that won five games last season? We'll see. And the team on decline, in my opinion, after improving and looking better than, than what people thought they were going to be in 2021, is the Falcons. They trade away Matt Ryan, I think, in, basically in hopes they try to get Deshaun Watson and help his the whole salary situation work to their favor. And they added Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota hasn't started in more, in, in more than two seasons. A guy who's never attempted more than 500 uh, throwing attempts in a game. And he's the quarterback that they think that can help them improve from what they were starting last season when Matt, uh, Matt Ryan was their quarterback. They drafted Desmond Ritter to, to be their, their rookie quarterback. But now there's a situation. What happened to Marcus Mariota? Is Marcus Mariota going to have a great season? You don't even know what Marcus Mariota can do to contribute to this team. And we'll, and, and because Marcus Mariota has not started the past two seasons, he's been a bit backup with the Raiders. Will he be good enough for the Falcons? Or will the Falcons have to start their rookie Desmond Ritter? And will that hurt Desmond Ritter's future? Until we see a game start, until we see a game happen, right now, the Falcons, in terms of my eyes, are one of those teams that are on decline versus a team that's the same or even better. NFC West, Seahawks. They traded away one of their best players, maybe in, in the last 15, 15, 20 years, in their in their roster, in, in Russell Wilson, and released one of the best linebackers and Bobby Wagner. And they entered a real, real mold in some ways. I don't see why Russell Wilson had to be traded. But lo, lo and behold, Russell Wilson is now in his new home in Denver. He didn't really go too far away. Seattle looks like a team in decline. That's why rebuild mode is attached to them. But again, the team that, that, that you, you could say in the rise, and it's kind of funny that, that we are attaching this with them is the Super Bowl champion Rams. And it's kind of funny. Adding Bobby Wagner improves the defense with Ramsey and, and Donald and Leonard Floyd. Allen Robinson is a great wide receiver who never had a good receiver crew with the Bears. And now with Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson, it's a great one-two punch for the Rams. Adding Bobby Wagner and his, and his uh, experience and his leadership to a team that already has great leadership on defense is even better. So you could say this this is a team that's maybe the same, not on the rise. Same. Because they lost talent in Darius Williams in the secondary. They brought back in Troy Hill, who is an okay uh cornerback in comparison to Williams, a familiar face who used to actually Troy Hill used to play with the Rams, the Rams Saw him go to the Browns last season, but now he's back through Viva Train. We'll see what happens. And the Cardinals, you know, let, we'll see what happens with them, what, what they could do. You know, their team right now, I'll say they're the team in the same too, holding the same graphic because they lost Chandler Jones and then they brought Brown to improve the, improve the um, receiving core. So Brown's a great welcoming addition. But losing 
Chandler Jones and not really replacing him or a major talent is also going to hurt the Cardinals in some ways, in my opinion. So let's get into the NBA. Joel Embiid missed the first two games versus the Heat, and the Heat took advantage of that. Last night in Game 3, Joel Embiid came back. Not a high-scoring game. Uh, he didn't have a monster game, but long, lo and behold, he was able to... He was able to help the Sixers win a game versus the number one team in the Eastern Conference in the Miami Heat. Celtics won game two. The series is one and one versus the, versus the Bucks. I didn't think the Bucks were going to be able to actually win a game with Chris Milton being gone. That's me just being arrogant and thinking I know better than most people. But um, give credit to the Celtics. The idea that they lost game one and came back to win game two is great. This is a series that maybe could even go seven games. Maybe it's like a trade back and forth kind of series, you know. In terms of the Suns, the Suns won versus the um, won the first two games versus the, the Mavs. Mavs won game three last night. And the most interesting series right now is still attached to the Grizzlies. Isn't that crazy? Round one. Grizzlies was in the best series versus Minnesota. Now they're facing the Warriors and they're in the best series. This this series so far has been choppy. Not choppy, whatever you want to call it. Draymond Green is bleeding through the eye. Gary Payne Jr. Uh, hurt, got hurt due to Adelin Brooks' uh, swap to the head. It's a choppy. They're arguing. They're fighting. Players are getting thrown out. And this is a fun series. No matter who wins so far... In two games, Warriors versus Grizzlies is the best series so far in uh, round two in the NBA playoffs. And maybe I'm wrong, but if but the Grizzlies won game two, so now the series is one one. We'll see what happens. Do the Grizzlies have enough to to uh, beat the Warriors? Who is going to be ejected next? Who who's going to be injured next? Who is going to start? A argument next in this series it's an interesting series you know you don't want arguments you don't want violence but man in sports it makes it interesting because they can either get the best out of players or the worst and also creates a what if because what if the guy didn't get ejected would the opponent have actually won because of uh the ejection or because of the suspension let's continue on to mlb Ladies and gentlemen, so MLB Madison Bumgarner was facing the game versus the Marlins the other day. And in the first inning, the new thing that's been happening in baseball within the last couple of years is that they're checking the hands and the hat and see if there's a substance that's basically helping starting pitchers and relievers have an advantage over hitters. They check. Nothing's there. The game proceeds. They go back to the bench while their team goes up to bat, etc. and so forth. But the thing that made it odd in the game that uh, Madison Bumgarner was having versus the Mullins was the umpire looked at his hand. And the umpire's name is Dan Bellino. Hopefully I said his name right. He was checking Bumgarner's hand. But look at the umpire's face. Even though he was feeling the hands of Bumgarner to see if there was any kind of substance there, he never looked at Bumgarner's hand. To see if there's pine tar or any foreign um, object or any, or any foreign like liquid or something on his hand. He looks straight at Bumgarner's face 
and it looked like a guy who was agitated. He looked like a guy who was aiming to make Bumgarner uh, angry. And mission accomplished. Bumgarner was very angry and got ejected in the first inning in the game versus the Marlins. Crazy how that happened, but MLB has to check this out. And, and the idea that this umpire played a tribute to why a pitcher was taken out early on the first inning versus an injury or versus the Marlins uh, basically uh, getting so many runs in the first first inning that Bumgarner couldn't continue is crazy. You know, and if the 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 and if the Diamondback, I think the Diamondbacks won, but the, the what if fact is, what if the Diamondbacks lost? What if Bumgarner, in the end of his career, ladies and gentlemen, end of his career, needed that one more ga- game to make the Hall of Fame, and because of this game, and because of the umpire Dan, well, whatever his name is, Dan Bell, I'm gonna call him Dan Bell, Dan Bell, because of him, Bumgarner doesn't make the Hall of Fame. Major League Baseball. Crazy. I haven't seen it uh this ever before, but the you know, there's the first time for everything. Now, let me say a name right now, and some of you may know him as an actor. He's a t- he was in, in teen movies, and some of you may even know his father, who was famous in the 70s, who's dead now. And the guy who I'm talking about is Freddie Prince Jr. S- Freddie Prince Jr has made money outside of acting. He has been a writer for the WWE. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about starting his own wrestling organization. He was talking about the other day that he was looking at venues in LA and he found this one spot that was over his overpriced for him. But the idea that what he was saying and how he advertised it would have made me bought in to wanting to see his wrestling promo- his promotion because it was in LA... The match matches would have been in the roof deck, and the scenery would have been L.A. lights. Crazy. I don't think any wrestling promotion has ever done, had anything like that, ever. But the idea that that was a possibility says Freddie Prince Jr. is trying to bring something different to wrestling, and doing something like that with scenery, great scenery versus an arena, it's a different experience, and I like what, he, what he's trying to do. He's trying to do something different, which always brings... Which is always good. Trying not to look like the other guy is always something that separates you and it always makes your uh, career either hinds your career or lowers your career. But it's always an interesting to do. Try to enter a certain field different than the other guy. Now, Ryback. You know, a couple years ago, Ryback asked to be released. And since then, he hasn't really been wrestling at all he's had surgeries he's done a little bit of uh, circuits but he just seems crazy he's been trashing WWE he's been trashing Vince McMahon but the other day he was trashing a dead woman and on top of that a dead dead woman Vince McMahon's dead mother a guy who's like it just seems like he's trying not to wrestle again you do that I mean listen I don't talk about I'm one of those people ladies and gentlemen I feel that if you talk about someone's mother, it's a low blow. But especially if you talk about someone who's dead, it's like, whoa, where's your mind? Where are you at in life that you feel that you have to go to attack a mother and someone who's dead? Crazy that he's done that. But man, Ryback, 
what are you doing? This is this is a guy who's never gonna wrestle again. I don't think AEW, Impact, nobody's ever. Gonna, I mean, listen, CM Punk has dented Ryback's career in the sense that he says that Ryback is stiff. The idea that he had had uh, has shown him video. Well, someone else has shown him video, uh, where Ryback missed a spot when he was supposed to throw CM Punk through a table. There was a certain spot that CM Punk was supposed to hit, and Ryback didn't hit it, and it made CM Punk angry because CM Punk needed surgery and it was out of wrestling because of it, due to an injury, and he felt that it was because Ryback was sloppy because Ryback is stiff. And that happens in wrestling. If you don't know anything about wrestling, when guys who are super strong have a tendency to be a little stiff, and they get all in the all crazy in the moment and use the strength versus use the knowledge of how do I do this move and make it look like a ten, but make it feel more like a four and a five, so that the guy can get up and not be seriously injured, not needing surgery, or not needing to miss uh, matches. Because of it. And I think that was one of the things that CM Punk was really angry with. That the idea that he missed the mark. And has been known that he was that he is stiff with his uh, wrestling moves. That's actually hurt Ryback from ever getting the chance again. And this, I, I'm going to be honest. I liked Ryback in the beginning. You know, first he came in NXT and I wasn't feeling it. But once he came in as Ryback, he looked like a crazed, like, maniac. He came out. With his attire looking like Rob Van Dam. And then he was saying, feed me more. And he looked crazy. Like you see all the veins coming out like the side of his eye. He looked like a crazy man. He looked super strong. And he got your attention. And then he's done this. He's been released. He hasn't been able to go to any other wrestling promotion. And try to make Vince McMahon and other uh, wrestling promotions that, that have give up on him. Um, wrong, but the idea that he's that that, that uh, he, he did this is wrong. He'll probably never wrestle again. You know, getting back to the NXT releases, you know, I I wonder if if this is strictly COVID. I wonder th- is this happening more because of Triple H's health issues that he had and that he missed time. Is this playing contribute to health? Uh, Triple H maybe not even having that much of a say like he's had in the past. I wonder why. This is happening. And how many more wrestlers will be released ultimately from the WWE organization? We'll see what happens. Anyway, that is my episode. Remember to subscribe to the Truth and Reality podcast and all podcast outlets. Remember to follow the Truth and Reality uh, podcast on Instagram and on TikTok. And long story short, have a great day and even better night. Bye-bye.